If you have your Bible with you this morning, take it out again and go over into your New Testament now, to the Gospel of Mark, please. Mark chapter 10. Please go back to that section that was read for us at the beginning of the hour in Mark, the 10th chapter. As you turn there and get settled in and ready to study, I would like to just take a moment or two uh, to just say how thankful I am again to the God of heaven, the God we serve and believe in, who's blessed us with this opportunity in this day to have an extended portion of worship. Uh, I'm just so thankful. It's been a very interesting year to say the least. And we have finally been blessed to be able to do what we're doing today for an extended period of time. And may God continue to be with us as we move forward as a church together. Also want to do my best to follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, and just spend a moment just offering commendation and praise to the brethren here at this church. This is just such a wonderful church, wonderful people, wonderful godly people. And I just want to thank the elders and their vision and their leadership and their godly example as they have led us during this pandemic this year. We have been very blessed by God. A lot of churches are not as blessed as us to have the kind of men we have to lead us. I'm very thankful to the shepherds, very thankful to the deacons, and all the deacons do behind the scenes to help things function properly and allow me to focus on preaching the gospel. And I'm just thankful to all the members, and your love for God and the unity that we've been able to maintain during this time. And I'm just thankful that for the most part, we've come out of this healthy and together and hopefully stronger for the Lord. So may God continue to be with us. In 2020, and hopefully you have not forgotten this, but our theme, our theme this year as a church family has been built solely around the most important person in the history of the world, and that is Jesus. Our theme this year has been about knowing Jesus. It's been about loving Jesus. It's been about experiencing the fullness of Jesus. Jesus is what we have tried to focus on in 2020. And I got to tell you that probably one of the greatest things that we could ever know and study about him is found right here in Mark chapter 10 in these verses that Brother Trevor read for us this morning. I want you to go back to Mark chapter 10, and I want you to notice carefully what's going on in the context of those verses Brother Trevor, Trevor read this morning. Notice how in the context of those verses, we find the apostles of our Lord having a very serious problem. Oh, yes, they, they got a very serious problem like many people do when they're engaged in a group effort here on this occasion. The apostles are guilty of being in competition with each other. They're competing with one another. They're actually trying to be greater than one another in the kingdom of God. You see, in their minds, in their minds, that's how greatness was defined. In, in, in their minds, greatness, greatness was defined by authority. 
It was defined by position. It was defined by the number of people that you can get to serve you and be under you and that you can boss around and tell what to do. That's how the apostles defined greatness 2,000 years ago. But notice how beginning with verse number 42 of this chapter, Jesus sets the record straight. Jesus sets them straight. Jesus tells them. He tells them something that would have been extremely radical in their time. And it's also radical in our time today. Notice how Jesus tells them that when it comes to his kingdom. When it comes to his church, when it comes to his family, greatness in his family or his kingdom is not defined by the same standards as the world. Unlike the world, greatness in the kingdom of God is not defined by position. It's not defined by authority, by status. It's not defined by the number of people that you can get to serve you and be under you and that you can boss around and tell what to do. No, according to Jesus Christ, greatness in his kingdom is defined by being a servant. It's defined by being humble. It's defined by how much you're willing to put the needs and the problems of other people even before your own. That's what the Lord is stressing there in Mark chapter 10. In fact, to emphasize that point to his apostles in a very powerful way, notice how he uses himself as the ultimate example. Going back to verse number 45, notice how Jesus says, that even though he is God, even though he's the Lord, even though he's the creator and the sustainer and the redeemer of all things, the very reason why he came to the earth was to serve. It was to serve me and serve you. It was to serve all of us in the highest possible way by dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus says that he left the glories of heaven to come into this wicked and sinful world to be a servant. And guess what? If we're truly going to be his people, if we're truly going to be part of his kingdom, then we got to strive to be like him. We got to follow in his footsteps. We got to make sure that we develop and maintain a serve others first mentality. Look again at the text. Look at verse 43. This is what the Lord says in verse 43, Mark 10. After talking about how the world measures greatness, he says the world measures it by authority. Verse 42, he says they measure it by lordship. They measure it by bossing other people around and telling them what to do. Position. That's how the world measures greatness. But in verse 43, he says, it is not this way among you. It is not this way among you if you're my people. It is not this way among you if you're my disciples. It is not this way among you if you're part of my kingdom. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Notice how Jesus says that the path to greatness in his kingdom, it is a, a radical path. 
It is a strange path by the standards of the world. Jesus says that the path to greatness in his kingdom is the path of service. It's being a servant. It's being a servant of God. It's being a servant of Jesus. It's being a servant of your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Jesus says that he has called us as his people to be just like him, to be servants like him, the world's greatest servant. The question, though, is, is how exactly do we do that? How exactly do we become servants like Jesus? How exactly do we follow in the footsteps of our master and king of kings and lord of lords? Well, you got your Bible still with you open? Go to John, the 13th chapter. Will you please go to John chapter 13? And many of you may be familiar with what the Apostle John writes here in John 13. Remember here in John 13, beginning with verse number five, we find Jesus something, Jesus doing something that maybe we would consider to be radical when you consider who Jesus is. After partaking of the Passover meal with his apostles in the upper room in the city of Jerusalem, Jesus, the creator, Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus, the one who today holds the world in the palm of his hands. On this occasion, he gets on his knees and he washes feet. He washes the feet of sinful men. John 13, 5, then he poured water into a basin. Jesus is doing this. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Peter said to him, Lord, he washed my feet. Peter is shocked by this. Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands in my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew that one for he knew the one who was betraying him. That's Judas. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet. And taking his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. Notice how Jesus knew exactly who he was. He was comfortable in his own skin. He knew exactly who he was. He knew that he was the Lord. He was the master teacher. He knew that he was way above them. Jesus knew who he was. And he said to them, if I then the Lord and the teacher wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed. You're blessed if you do them. Notice how in addition to commanding us to be servants like him in verses 14 and verse 17 of this section, Jesus also shows us exactly how to do that. 
he shows us exactly how to be servants like him, the world's greatest servant. Notice how according to what we find here in John 13, we see that if we're going to be servants like Jesus, then it begins. It begins with us having a high sense of awareness. We got to have a high sense of awareness. Notice how in these verses, Jesus is clearly aware of the needs of his people. He is clearly aware that on this occasion, his people, his apostles have dirty feet. He knows that they have 24 feet that need to be washed. Jesus is aware of the problem on this occasion. He's aware that his disciples have dirty feet. And for those who may wonder how their feet got that way in the first place, let me just take a moment or two to explain the, the customs of this time. You see, brothers and sisters, during this time, during the time of the first century in Israel, foot washing was a very important custom. Foot washing was something that was very much needed among the people because they didn't have cars. They had to walk everywhere they went and the streets that they walked on were un un unpaved and that led to their feet getting dirty really, really quickly. Now, typically during this time when people would go into one another's homes to eat a meal, they would recline around a table that they would sit around a big, large table, and it was customary for the host to make provisions for his guests to have, to have their feet washed whenever they entered into his home. In fact, that work of foot washing was typically reserved for the lowly servant. It was typically reserved for the lowest Servant that was in the house, but I want you to notice how on this occasion here in John 13, nobody like that seems to be present. Here in John chapter 13, as the apostles enter into this home, like was, com like was common at this time, the apostles had dirty feet. They had 24 feet that needed to be washed, and Jesus being the observant person that he was, he noticed that. He noticed the fact that his people needed to have their feet washed. In fact, that is exactly why he took the initiative and began to pour water into a basin. This whole wonderful and beautiful narrative that we find here in John 13, it all began with awareness. It all began with Jesus being aware and conscious of the needs of others. The question, though, is, is are we like him? Are we like the master teacher? Are we like Jesus? Like Jesus, are we aware of the needs of others? I want to submit to you that it can be very difficult, especially in our time to be like Jesus when it comes to this. You see, living in a society, in a culture, where for so many people they encourage us to focus on ourselves and our own personal needs, it can be difficult to be like Jesus. 
It can be difficult to challenge ourselves to be aware of the needs of others. It can be difficult to follow in the footsteps of the Lord here, especially when you consider how we live in a society that promotes selfishness and personal happiness above anything else. Let me give you a couple examples as to what I'm talking about. Maybe you can see this. Consider the woman. Consider the woman who has an unborn child that she feels is going to mess up the current plans she has for her life. She has this unborn child in her body, and she's thinking about how this child, this unborn child, is going to mess up her future college plans. This future child is going to mess up her future career plans. This future child is going to totally cripple her when it comes to the things she wants to do in her life. Now, when it comes to a woman who has that kind of mentality, what do the majority of people in our society today encourage her to do? Well, you know the answer to that question, right? You know that when it comes to the majority of folks in our time, especially today, with a woman like that, they encourage her to get an abortion. They encourage her to commit murder. They encourage her to do away with the child because they say that child is in her body and she should be able to do what she wants with her body, right? Put that with the example of the person who's been married for a few years and now they want to get out of that marriage because they say, I'm just not happy anymore. I'm just not satisfied anymore. I don't want to go any further in, in this relationship. I want to leave this person I'm with, and I want to go and be with somebody else. And when it comes to the person who has that kind of mentality, what are they encouraged to do by the majority of folks in our society today? Well, you know the answer to that, don't you? You know that the majority of folks in our society today will encourage that person to get a divorce to sever the marriage, to move on and do whatever you feel like will make you happy. What I just want you to see is we're currently living in a society where for so many people, they're only focused on themselves. They're only focused on their needs and their wants and their desires and their personal happiness. But I want you to notice how that is not the mentality that Jesus carried with him in his life. Notice how when it came to our Lord and Savior, when he walked on this planet 2,000 years ago, even though he could have, he didn't walk around focused on himself first. He didn't walk around acting like he was better than other people and totally absorbed in his needs and his wants and his desires. Instead, when the Lord walked around on this earth 2,000 years ago, he was focused first on the needs of other people. He was fully aware of the needs of those that he came into contact with in his life. When you go in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2, I love Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in verse number 3. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse number 3. Paul tells us this as Christians. He says, do nothing, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Question, are we doing what these verses say? Are we doing what these verses say in our lives right now? Are we selfish or are we humble? Are we selfish or are we looking out for the needs of others and viewing their needs even more important than our own? Are we looking out just for our own personal interest and what makes us happy and what satisfies us? And as we get is it and if we get our way on everything we want, or are we also considering the interest of others? Do, are we even aware of the interest of others? Are we even aware of the needs of others? I mean, right now, as a member of this congregation, and I'm speaking to myself first, okay? Am I, are we aware of those among us who may need some extra attention right now because maybe they're struggling with loneliness or anxiety or depression because they're just fed up with this rough period we're going through right now in our country. Are we aware of those among us right now who need our prayers? Because maybe they just lost a loved one. Or maybe because they're sick or maybe because they have a surgery scheduled soon. Or maybe because they're dealing with some kind of economic issues. Are we aware of those among us who may be spiritually weak right now? Beyond just our elders, are we as a, as a whole church family aware of those among us who haven't been to services in quite some time? Do we even know why these folks we are aware of haven't been to services in quite some time? Are we just assuming that they haven't been here in a while because of the pandemic? Or could it be, could it be that Satan has snatched them away? I just want you to see is if we're going to be like Jesus and our goal is to be like Jesus. Well, if we're going to be like him, we got to open our eyes and challenge ourselves to be aware of the needs of others. We got to be aware of one another's physical needs and especially those spiritual needs. But not only was Jesus the world's greatest servant because he possessed a high sense of awareness a second thing that made him such a great servant is he also possessed something called compassion. Compassion. When we say compassion this morning, we're talking about pity. We're talking about sympathy. We're talking about the Lord and Savior having constant concern for the suffering and the problems of others. Can I show you some verses that prove this point? Here's just a sampling. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. Here the Bible says there was a time when Jesus was going out and preaching in various cities and villages. And when he saw the people, when he saw the crowds of people, he felt compassion for them, the Bible says. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. You put that with what you find in Matthew 14 and verse 14. Here Jesus 
again, is, is teaching the word of God and he's coming ashore and he sees a large crowd of people and he felt compassion for them, the Bible says, and he healed their sick. You move on now to Matthew chapter 20, verse 34. And here in the context, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem to die on a cross for the sins of the world. And, and he comes into contact with two blind beggars who are begging him to heal him. And even though Jesus is making this stressful journey to Jerusalem, the Bible says that he was moved with compassion for these blind men. And he touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Notice how Jesus was never too busy to show compassion. In fact, you go on to Luke chapter 7. And here we read about the time when Jesus came into contact with a, a widow in the village of Nain who was go going to bury her only son. She was going to bury the only family she had left. The scripture says that when Jesus saw her, he felt compassion for her. He felt sincere pity and sympathy for her, and he told her, do not weep. What I just want you to see is Jesus. Jesus is a king who has a heart. He has a heart for people. He has a heart for the problems and the troubles of his creation. The question is, is are we like Jesus? Like Jesus, when we see people hurting, when we see people in pain, when we see people grieving and they're struggling, do we sympathize with them? Do we pity them? Do we show compassion for them? Or do we just easily sweep their, their problems under the rug? Do we say, well, that, that's their problem. That's got nothing to do with me. Better them going through that than me. They just need to toughen up more. They just need to get more faith. They just need to, to pray more to God. Is that the kind of stuff that we say whenever we become aware of the needs and the problems of others? I hope not. I hope that we don't say that kind of stuff. I hope we don't even think that kind of stuff. I hope that whenever we become aware of the problems and the sufferings of others, we immediately, right there on the spot, think about Jesus. I hope we think about the example of Jesus. I hope we think about the words of the Apostle Paul, where in Romans 12 and verse 15, Paul says that as Christians, we ought to rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. I hope we can all agree that to do what Paul says in this verse, that requires compassion, doesn't it? That requires sympathy, it requires love, it requires the ability to be touched in your heart by the problems of other people. Jesus was a great servant, the greatest servant, because he had a heart of compassion, and he still does. But not only did he possess awareness and compassion, a third thing I want to leave you with this morning, we're going to be done, is Jesus is the world's greatest servant because he also was someone who took action. He took action. He wasn't someone who 
just saw people's needs. And he wasn't someone who just had compassion towards those needs, but he was also someone who got up and took action to help people address their needs. I think we see that clearly going back to John chapter 13. Please go back to John 13 again. And I want us to look carefully at what the scripture is saying there. Remember in John 13, Jesus notices that his apostles have a problem. They got dirty feet, right? They got 24 dirty, crusty, smelly, disgusting feet. And Jesus notices that, but he doesn't just notice that, does he? He also does some about it. He also takes action. John 13 verse 5 says that after he put water into a basin, he rolled up his sleeves, he got on his knees, and he took a towel and washed their feet. He literally, and I emphasize literally, cleaned their feet. He served them in an effort to show them how to serve each other. He did that even though he's the Lord. He did that even though he's the king of the universe, even though he's the Lord and the king and the one who knows all things. On this night, he was willing to become the lowest servant in the room. On this night, he was willing to become the person who was Jesus, the foot washer. He on this night was willing to practically show his people what it means to serve the people that you love. And think about it. He did this by just using water, a tile, and a basin. He didn't do anything supernatural on this night, did he? He didn't perform a miracle. He didn't serve by miraculously multiplying food or giving sight to someone who was blind. No, all Jesus used was water, towel, and a basin, and he made the lives of other people better by just using the resources available to him in the room. He sacrificed for his people. That's what he did. And, you know, when I read that, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of what Mary did back in Mark, the 14th chapter. Do you remember what Mary did back in Mark chapter 14? Remember that Mark 14 and verse 3. Now, when we say Mary, we're not talking about the, the mother of Jesus. We're talking about the woman who was the sister of Martha and Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Mark 14 and verse 3 says there was a time when Jesus was in Bethany and he spent some time in the home of Simon the leper. Now, that's a whole nother issue right there. Jesus is hanging out with an outcast, Simon the leper here. And they're reclining at the table, and there came a woman. When you put this with what other accounts say, this woman is Mary. Mary comes with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume, a pure nard, and she broke it, she broke the vial and poured it all over his head. Some scholars say that this perfume, when she broke this bottle, it would have had Jesus being at, you could smell him for miles. That's how strong this stuff is. And some were indignant about this, remarking, why was this perfume wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor and they were scalding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? The Lord is taken up for her. She has done a good deed. 
For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could, for she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly I say to you, and we're, we're fulfilling this verse right now, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. I want you to notice a couple of things here from this text real quick. First, notice how this sacrifice that Mary makes for Jesus with this perfume on this occasion was costly. Do you see that? Verse 3 says that this sacrifice was very costly. You see, we got to understand that this perfume she used on this occasion, this wasn't something that you could buy at the 99 cent store. This wasn't something that you could buy at Walmart or Walgreens or Target. No, history tells us that during this time, the average person would have to have used almost their entire year's wages to be able to buy this perfume. There's some very expensive stuff here. And notice, secondly, how the Lord commends what she does. He commends her. He praises her while the apostles are criticizing her and saying what she did is wasteful. Jesus commends it. He praises her actions. In fact, I really like what he says in verse number eight. In verse number eight, he tells the apostles to be quiet. Because she has done what she could. She's done what she could. She used what was available to her to serve him to the best of her ability before he died. Mary used perfume to serve Jesus. And Jesus used water, towel, and a basin to serve his apostles. The question is, is what are you using? What are you using to take action in the kingdom of God? What are you using to serve the Lord? What are you using to serve your brothers and your sisters in Christ? Or are you at least using the ears that God has blessed you with? Or are you at least using the ears that you have to listen to a brother or a sister who needs to vent a little bit because they're going through some problems? Are you at least serving by using your mouth? Using your mouth to give somebody godly counsel whenever they come to you seeking that. Or are you at least using your cell phone to serve by text messaging a, a word of encouragement to some of your brothers and sisters in Christ during this difficult time? Or are you using a card and a, and a postage stamp? To serve by brightening somebody's day, by remembering their birthday or their anniversary. We got a lot of people who serve in that way. And may God bless those folks. I've gotten many cards like that from folks here. And you just don't know how much of an impact it makes. Are you using your Bible to serve a lost soul? To share the gospel with them? Are you using your car to take someone to a doctor's appointment? Are you lawnmower to cut a widow's grass or your time to support a brother or sister at a visitation or a funeral whenever they lose somebody close to them? There's so many other examples I could give you, but here's the point. Here's the point. The point is to be a servant like Jesus. You don't need to have a lot of money. 
You don't need to be an elder, even though elders are servants. You don't need to be a deacon, even though deacons are servants. You don't need to be a preacher, even though preachers are servants. But to be a servant, you don't have to be any of those things. All you really need are eyes that are aware of other people's needs. A heart that is compassionate towards those needs and hand and feet that are willing to get up and take action with whatever resources God has given you to render service towards those needs. That's what Jesus did in his life. And that is what he has also called us to do. In fact, in the case of all these things we've talked about this morning, I want us to appreciate how Jesus demonstrated all these things towards us. I mean, think about it. When we as the human race were lost in our sins and destined to spend an eternity in hell, Jesus noticed that. Jesus was aware of our sin problem and he had compassion towards that problem. He had sympathy and pity and concern and love for that problem. And all those things drove him to take action. All those things drove him to leave the glories of heaven and come into this world and die on a cross for our sins. And in fact, Jesus himself says in Mark 10 and verse 45 that the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus served us in the highest possible way 2000 years ago. The question is, are you serving him? Are you serving the one who loved you first and who served you first? If not, then this morning, on this day and at this time, you have an opportunity to do that right here and right now. If that means you need to respond to the gospel for the first time through faith and repentance and baptism, or if that means that you need to come back home because you've wandered away from the fold, whatever your spiritual need is this morning, we want to help you with that. We want to serve you in that right here and right now as we stand and we sing.